Welcome to Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Let's get right to it. So, Dave, Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia, this week said he's choosing not to support the For the People's Act, which would dramatically alter our elections process and give a lot more power to the federal government. He also said he's going to keep the filibuster intact. Now, he's been getting a lot of pushback from his own party. Do you think that he might switch over to the GOP if the Democrats keep attacking him this way? If you're one of the most powerful people in Washington, why would you want to change anything? So no, though the Dems might push him, you know, this is something, and and pardon my prolixity here, but I just need to vent on this. This is the quintessence of democratic fecklessness. There's a real chance to stand up for voting rights because a lot of law states are passing laws and I don't care so much about the restricted voting hours of the absentee ballot. I do care about the laws in Georgia that allow the legislature to overrule local boards. But instead of focusing on what matters, they come up with this wish list that includes things like dark money and gerrymandering and voter ID and all this stuff and doesn't even address the main point of the whole problem, which is allowing legislators to, to intervene. And the that Georgia. Although I'm going to I'm going to push back on that, Dave, because the U.S. Constitution does give the legislature the power. It's Article one, Section four, I believe, says it's the legislatures, not the executive boards or the uh, electoral boards. Yeah. But come on, Carrie, they're they're taking power away from the secretary of state. You know, I mean, the, 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 the bottom line is this is done because they lost the election in 2020 and it scared the, the vegetas out of us as, as a party. So they're trying to compensate for, and the Dems voter rights, 70, even 76% of people in West Virginia support a lot of things in HR1. So the Dems need to get their act together. And if not the John Lewis Act, pass something that, that will A, have a chance of making it into law and B, address the real problem. All right, we'll see. All right, let's talk foreign policy and VP Kamala Harris. So she visited Guatemala this week and she said, don't come to the illegal immigrants. Do you think this is a little too late? Reports indicate we've already had nearly 800,000 border crossings this year. And then how is uh, VP Harris going to respond to the feud that she's having within her own party? Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez attacked her for saying this. Uh, how do you think this is going to shake out within the Democratic Party? And do you think that Harris should be more forceful uh, in, in repeating what she said, don't come? Well, yes, I do think it's it's too little too late. And uh, I also think it's really bad form for the vice president who last time I checked was appointed head of the whole border situation by President Biden. And she hasn't visited the border and her response. You can always tell when she's overwhelmed by a question, she laughs and she says, oh, I've been to the border, I'm from California. Doesn't cut it, but I wanna say one thing. President Biden exacerbated this crisis, but President Trump started it because Barack Obama, one of his most unheralded achievements was the way he managed the border. When he left office, border crossings were at a near 50-year low. He was known as the deporter-in-chief. So this is something that's been going on really since, since 2017. And I think that uh, I'm hoping that the administration will actually have a little more teeth because right now I think it's an Achilles heel that I think more than any issue could, could bring them down. Do you think that Biden is kind of punting by making her basically take all the flack right now on this very divisive issue? 
I actually do think that he's that. Yes, I think he's being weak on this issue. Uh, you know, I, my, my favorite moment was during one of the debates when more than half the candidates in for the Democratic primary raised their hands when someone asked, would you support health care for illegal immigrants? I was like, what is this? It's a, a circular firing squad. They just can't they just can't seem to get it right. But, you know, border security while enforcing our laws and having a, a fair sanctuary policy that worked under Obama. All right, let's go to the next topic. Again, on foreign policy, President Biden will be meeting with Vladimir Putin of Russia, and Biden has already dropped the opposition to the Nord Stream 2 pipeline in advance of their Geneva meeting. But on the other hand, he's also pulled America out of the Open Skies Treaty. As one columnist has said, four U.S. presidents have found confronting the Russian leader more trouble than it's worth. Do you agree? Do you think it's wise for Biden to meet with Putin? Does it even give Putin more power? Well, I don't know about that. I, I think he should definitely meet with him. I think that uh, uh, I don't, to this day, I will always ask what Vladimir Putin had on Donald Trump because the fawning policy made no sense to me. I think it's worth meeting with him. But with these guys, and it's the same thing with President Xi, they respond to power. When is the only time Putin went nuts? When did we get under his skin? When Congress passed the Manitsky Act, which was named after the lawyer, for uh, one of an investor over there who died in jail, Putin went nuts because it attacked the oligarchs. That's the source of his power. We should be, you know, we should be fighting back with cyber warfare. Out of a seven hundred and fifty billion dollar defense budget, we spent eighteen point seven billion on cyber warfare. We should be going after Putin. We should be publishing the list of his two hundred plus billion dollar assets. We should be telling the Russian people how weak he is, foment to send it home. That's what we need to do. But I do think it's wise for Biden to meet with him. And it's part of the overall strategy, whether you agree with it or not, that he's trying to reset America's policy and prove that we're back to an alliance-based foreign policy. What do you think of, uh, what did you think of Trump's uh, policy towards, towards Russia? I don't think it was uh, weak at all. I mean, he he armed the Ukrainians, whereas Barack Obama, his predecessor, gave them night goggles and quilts. Uh, he also expanded U.S. oil policy and made us a net exporter, uh, I think, for the first time ever. Uh, and that diminishes the power of Putin. Uh, he was in opposition to Nord Stream 2 because that allows uh, Russia to have more power over Germany and Europe. Uh, and he was very much against that. He was also very much against, uh, you know, uh, aggression toward Poland. Poland loved Trump uh, because he allowed them to rebuild the missile defense system in Poland, whereas Obama obliterated and didn't want to have that missile defense system. Uh, and, and Trump also finally made the NATO allies pony up and pay their required GDP spend. That makes uh, Russia weaker because NATO allies are standing up. So we're going to have to just agree to disagree on that one. Well, Let's I would just say our, one thing uh, real quickly that one, the thing that Putin wants or she or any dictator wants is Americans to lose faith in their democracy, Americans to not trust their elections. No one's done a better job of that than President Donald Trump. And I would say three other things. Every dictator wanted Trump to win for three reasons. He was too disorganized to pass infrastructure, make the investments that we need to compete in the 21st century. He was so transactional that he wouldn't challenge him on human rights. Remember, he said the concentration camps for Uyghurs in China were a 
good idea. And finally, he he weakened our alliances. Mm. And that's what what makes uh, Putin most happy of all. Anyway, more more fodder for, for later. Yes, we're going to have to revisit this. I can tell that uh, we're both very passionate about this one. Yeah. All right. Now time for the wild card question. Let's talk about Google and sexism. So Google recently announced in its Google Docs, which is the popular free word processing software, that they're going to be nudging people away from what it deems as potentially sexist language. Things as uh, the generic use of chairman instead of chairwoman uh, go for the gender neutral chairperson. Uh, now, while some people say that sexist language is a problem, a lot of people are other are also concerned that the tech giants are becoming more powerful and could get into the place of thought police or thought crimes, uh, a very Orwellian place. So where do you fall on this decision by Google? Well, this well, based on the way we're going, I've heard we're going to have to change the capital in California to Sacraperson-to. <laughs> I mean, seriously, <laughs> honestly, I, I never know, heard that one. That's good. <laughs> you and I are on the same page on this one, Carrie. First of all, I think it's ridiculous. It's like that student who made national news because the teacher penalized him for saying mankind instead of humankind. I mean, is this really, this is why people around us, the world laugh at us. We're a silly country. We're wasting time on stuff like this. And the other thing I would say about big tech is they end up hurting themselves, you know, Ron DeSantis in Florida, classic example. He got he got a person from Harvard Medical School and, and Stanford Medical School to both say wearing masks if you're under eight years old is a waste of time. It's bad for health. And YouTube pulled it. So I think they're they're really their own worst enemy. And I hope there's going to be a backlash because, you know, the one thing I always thought was that censorship would come more from the right. I never thought it would come so much from the left. Well, it's uh, interesting. In The Road to Serfdom, uh, the author Hayek points out that Nazism and just the push for any power for the state is actually very much uh, a leftist ideology because it's the more power you give to the state that is more pro-socialism. And in fact, the word Nazi is for the Nazi party, which is the National Socialist Party. So I'm not surprised at all. No, and I I just think I think big tech needs to needs to cool it because all, all they're doing is emboldening a lot of people on the right and reinforcing the stereotype that uh, that they're that they're censoring, which frankly they are. All right. Thank you, Dave Spencer. Another great episode. That was awesome. Well, folks, that does it again for another great scintillating episode of Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. And make sure to follow us. We are all over social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Practically Political. See you there.